Welcome to Conversations with Sarah. I'm Sarah Redden, Therapeutic Coach of SRTT. And today I'm joined by Dr. Rebecca Williams-Dinsdale to have a conversation about her healing journey and her message of joy. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It is joyous morning to be with you. Thank you. Um, so I would really love wherever you feel comfortable starting. Can you tell me a little about sort of your healing journey? What, what went on for you and, and brought you to where you are now? Thank you. Well, that's a lovely question. Um, you could say that both I and my parents have been chased by a great deal of illness and mm. I want a loving purpose to come from it. And I think in many respects, we're all on a healing journey, mentally, physically, spiritually, to, as we would say, fulfill our potential, be our best selves, live as well as we can and love as well as we can. So I have had extensive experience of really protracted physical illness. And that has really taught me everything about valuing health and unity more than everything. Yeah. So what, um, what like, like I share a little about that, I, I had a fibromyalgia diagnosis um, would be sort of seven years ago and, and kind of what I've gone through. Are you happy to share some of the sort of diagnosis and the, the what went on for you? Oh, of course, yes. And I would hope it would be of some use to people. Um, I always want loving purpose to come out of the work that I do. I was a very energetic child. I was the grubbiest tomboy on the planet and uh, lots of school activities. I had a loving home. I was very, very fortunate with my start in life. I always thank God for that. Um, I spent a great deal of time with my most remarkable grandmother who'd gone to China as a medical missionary and run a hospital. Wow. So I, I'd come from remarkable stock. I had beautiful parents, loving, dedicated, loyal, hardworking, good people. Um, but we were hit very hard, very severe ME. And I got glandular fever at 17, having been, you know, very active teenager and loved school and county youth choir and brass band and pals and church and choirs and lovely life, outdoor activities, canoeing, walking hills. And I got glandular fever and overnight I was physically ruined. It was that dramatic. And I got worse and worse and worse. I wasn't just a bit unwell on the sofa. Every physical symptom in my makeup was crackers on me. So you can imagine at 17 when you're hoping to go to a you know posh university, you've worked yeah. really hard. Yeah. And it's all all gone very fast downhill. So at 17, you very ill, dealing with the glandular fever. How long did that go on for you? Well, without being dramatic or self-piteous, it has affected my health every day since. Yeah. And um, I got worse and worse, and I had uh, ME, full-blown crackers system. And I was housebound or bedbound for between 12 and 40 weeks a year for the next 20 years. And that that's just not being dramatic, is it? That it's the reality of, of people with ME. And I don't think people really realise, because um, when you say ME or chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, people think, oh, you're just a bit tired and you kind of just need to have a little sleep and, and you'll be okay. Um, you'll be all right. But, yeah. And, you're saying I mean that's that's most of the year it's all, well yes and even when I wasn't housebound or bedbound I was still a very poorly girl hardly able to function so mm. it was about how ill you were how or how very ill you were and this wasn't being poorly on the sofa with a duvet watching the telly this was in the bedroom in the dark because I couldn't stand the light it was so painful to me 
quiet room because the noise felt like everything was amplified mm. and I had um, messed up balance I had messed up my glands were as big as my no my collarbone met my neck and my jaw yeah. um, and I had been a, I had been a child who could practically run up a mountain at 15 so there's yeah. the contrast I was not yeah. a lazy child I loved school I was a swat I was this you know I went to church I loved my parents I was a good girl yeah. so there was no anyway lack of motivation so and also just all the hours of I had massive food intolerance problems, so I'd be very frequently, I had massive upset stomach all the time. It was just about as grim as it could be, because if you tried to push, and I did many months of really trying to push, yeah. could I walk to the end of the drive? Could I walk to the corner shop? I've got to get myself well. Why can't I just fix this? Because I'm a trier. Yeah. And that made it much, much worse. I had no pacing. I had no understanding of energy management. I had no help. I did have loving parents and wonderful friends. But, you know, I, that went on for months and months. And I went back to school and did two hours a week in a taxi to do one A-level, which was a bit, a bit crackers because if I had a child that sick, I'd be like, darling, this is lunacy. But it was magic because it meant I was still me. And for those that half an hour in the taxi, lying in the back of the taxi before seatbelts was bad. Um, I went to my politics A-level lecture and I couldn't pick up my bag. So my friend used to meet me at the taxi, pick up the rucksack for me, carry, I just about carry me into the room. I'd sit in a chair nearest the door. I'd lean on the wall. I'd take my notes and I'd go home back to bed dead. Yeah. And that, that was a difficult life for a, for a young person. And it wasn't getting better either. It wasn't, um, oh, try a bit of homeopathy and you'll be all all right. Or here, I have this prescription. It just got worse and more complicated. Yeah. So it was, it was it was tough. And I had every possible home support. I had every encouragement, every, you know, if I needed extra pillows at two in the morning, there were extra pillows. But I spent a lot of those late teenage years on the bathroom floor all through the night. It was yeah. not glamorous and it was not fun. No, and, and talking today, you're, you're full of energy. Um, I know I've, I've been in your social media space, like you show up and you, you bring this joyous energy into your space. So somewhere along the line, there was a shift. Um, at what point did that start to change? Well, thank you for saying that I show up and that I have joy, I, I try. Um, there wasn't a dramatic shift. I was a very poorly person for a very long time. And I was still me, I was still joyous. I just didn't have yeah. any energy to speak. You know, that's yeah. what it came down to. Yeah. And people would come and visit me. And I'd say to my mom very quietly, um, also because I had such a raging sore throat all the time I said could you just stay in the bedroom and like do some of the chat for me so she she did that beautifully and she loved my pals I mean she was Aww. wonderful yeah and then I then she'd say um I won't stay if you want to talk about things you know the teenage <laughs> talk yeah, yeah it was wonderfully sensitive and then um my dad would pop in and, and make you know sardonic comments and ask how we all were beautifully but so really what happened was, is I began to understand two things. I had almost all of my uh, 20th year in, in and out hospital, which was beyond grim because it's hospital is hard when you're well, hospital is very hard when you're ill yeah. and it's excessively hard with ME, with fibromyalgia, with chronic invisible often conditions. Cause I, you know, I was getting th very thin. I looked like a corpse. So people mm. could see I was very sick, but um, you know, they, they had no, they had no care and no test. It was, yeah. The way people with ME are treated, generally, even with kindness and respect, 
is appalling. It's a national yeah. Yeah, because often you can't, You it is an invisible illness, and often by looking at someone, you can't tell that something is going on for them, and there can be a lot of social messaging of, well, you're just lazy, and if you try a bit harder, or if you just have a bit more of a positive outlook, or if you, like you said, take this oil or do this thing, um, you're somehow going to be cured. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, with, with my stuff, it's been about managing symptoms and living my life in a way that is most supportive of my wellness so whilst I'm not I'm not as symptomatic or I would say I'm I'm mostly not symptomatic now it still is something goes on with my body in certain situations and I have to be mindful of of how I spend my energy which probably for me is a good thing and I think here's the point if hard work put this right, if positivity put this right, if diligence, prayer, and just trying that bit harder, I promise you I'd be back up that mountain. I am. Mm. I now teach people as a coach and counsellor to cope with great difficulty yeah. and cope with strategies. And I write books about it. And the reason I do that is because I more than 20 years where I was not well any day, ever, fully. Yeah. And I had to learn management and pacing when you say less symptomatic I think that's a very intelligent thing because I am now very fortunate that I am very well managed I am very good and I say that with some humility but with also quiet pride at managing energy but there are there have been massive compromises in my life I haven't had any children I live in a, a, a relatively small bungalow so I can get round it about this bungalow about how close it was to the bathroom that's that's the kind of thought that people with me often have yeah um, I've never been on an aeroplane I've never had normal holidays I haven't been traveling um I've hardly eaten, you know I've never had, I had a ready meal yesterday never had a ready meal before because I didn't dare with the reactions yeah uh, but what I did manage to do in terms of answering your question thank you meandered around oh I will meander with you it's okay yes, <laughs> yeah. is that there were, there were three or four really important conclusions that I had to get to. First one was nobody was going to come and magically put this right for me. Mm -hmm. And most people, we're in a culture where you go essentially to a GP and you either get a prescription or you get a consultant or you get a set of tests. Now, when not, none of those things are offered and often what they offer makes you worse and the damage that a lot of people have. I've had my bravest friend was Emily Collingridge and she died before she, she would have been 40 this year. She died. Um, Sophie Mercer, all those people who've had the worst possible interventions and it made them worse. So what I, I concluded that the most important thing was not to get worse, to try and stabilize. Yeah. And then my next goal was to learn as much as possible about what I could do to make it a bit less bad. That was the point. Yeah. And everybody, yeah. you know, the, the positive mindset world, which a lot of which I love, is yes, yes, you can achieve anything. You can run a marathon, you can have a six figure business. You have 27 children and 14 puppies. Well, you know, these are huge goals. My goals make it a bit less bad rather than what can we do to make it better? It was, it was dual, dual approach. So my first thought was, well, can I get 40 weeks a year in bed from infections and just being so ruined down to 35? That was my goal. Can I get it down? Which means I catch fewer infections. What can I do to not get as many infections? Hmm. What can I do to sort out my, my explosively... Um, aggressive physical reactions to things so I look to try and make things three or two or even one percent better tiny tiny gains and that's very difficult when your body is raging because you're too ill to do the tiny gains you're too yeah. ill to, to do those things so I did have loving support 
but I also knew that if I had pop and rubbish and didn't you know, bother to learn about having vitamin C and all the things that help us, I was not going to get well. So my diet was cleaned out very dramatically. I asked my mom if I could have thicker bedroom curtains so that I tried to regulate my sleep pattern because my sleep was crackers, mm. which meant you had no restoration because your hypothalamus was just on fire. So I, I have spent 30 years, I'm 47 now, I've spent every day trying to do all I can to be well, do those 1% gains and um, count my blessings, but also realize that in some small way, I might have something of worth to offer. Because when you're that sick, it's very hard to think, well, I can't take myself to the shower. How on earth am I? My granny ran a hospital in China. How can I not go to the shower? So we have to make peace with that's where we are at the moment. This has hit yeah. us. And I kept thinking, thank God I've got a safe home. Thank God I've got good parents. Thank God, you know, they can go and get me broccoli when I can't eat anything else. And, you know, I lived off chicken and carrots for months. So I had many blessings, even though I was in the tightest corner. But through my 20s, I managed to do one A-level at a time. I then did one sixth degree time. I was desperate to hang on to just a bit of me and normality. And I was an absolute joke in those early 20s because what's the point of doing one sixth time? And people's lack of confidence in me was devastating. Yeah. People who really mattered had confidence. And I thought, well, if I just don't do it, I'll not have it. So one six by the grace of great help and hope turned into one third because I got my management so tight. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I read and researched everything there was. I tried everything. I think I just about tried everything it's possible to do to get well with any. I've been to every arena, every clinic. I've been to numerous specialists, doctors, nutritionalists. Acu uh, the only thing I haven't done is acupuncture. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I've wrung out every possibility yeah. of seeking help. But the interesting thing was in all of that, I learned two great things about motivation and resilience. And what you need to cope with great enduring difficulty is fortitude. That mm. was it. It wasn't about being positive. It was about, this is very painful and very difficult. How do I survive till lunchtime? Yeah. And as you say, it's something that you've you've used and you have turned into a positive because or from my perspective, you've turned into a positive because you've gone, OK, I've I've had all of this experience and I've learned all of these things. And now I can help people that are on this journey with my knowledge and with my the experience that I've had to help them understand what they're going through and make it just that little bit easier as they walk that path I hope so I think if you have there's a spectrum of perspective and proportion here if you have a bad week in a wonderful life you've had a bad week mm. you can have a good week in a very difficult life and that puts everything in perspective and proportion doesn't it and the problem is is that we are fed images of what life should be like and the reality is that normality is a great gift just being able to eat, just being able to go in the shower, be with people we love, read a book, talk to you, have blue hair, all these blessings. <laughs> so I wrote that gratitude journal every night for about 17 years. And I often had so little to put in it, but it was abundant as well. Mum and dad had five pillows. For 10 years, I slept with five pillows because my heart rate was so dodgy. If I lay down, I would pass out. Wow. Terrible. And um, then 
if you have anything else with ME as well, it just everything goes mad. So yeah, I had a tooth that was nightmare. So what I learned through all of that was is that my dad was very unwell as well. So we had a house with a lot of illness. And then just as I began to have my you know real improvements, where I got down to single figures of being bed bound and house bound, which was remarkable from 40 weeks to nine. That means you have a yeah, lot I mean, that's, more that's such a dramatic difference, isn't it? Being able it to do whatever it is that you're doing is more than being in bed. Oh, it's, it's a blessing. And I, when I got from one six to a third time at the degree, I honestly thought I was, I did. I was flying. I was like, one third time. I am so cool. <laughs> no. And I was still, still a joke. But now here's the blessing and the message, if nothing else comes from today. There was a special needs advisor at university because I went to my local one because I could only park on the door and I couldn't walk any further. But we had a special needs advisor called Sue Kane, who was an angelic force of good in my life and many others, because I went to her when everybody was laughing at me for my slow pace. And she made me believe it was possible. She made me believe that it was worth her effort to help me through. And I didn't in the end have very much. I had a couple of exams where I did them orally because I couldn't write. And I had a couple of um, letters, which meant, please don't chuck Rebecca off the course because she's half dead and she is trying. Yeah. But her grace and faith in me. And so one third turned into two thirds. And suddenly I'm there more than I'm not there. Yeah. But the university noticed and asked me to give talks to their new postgrad students about how to do a postgrad degree. And here's the interesting thing was I was half dead that even then very unwell you know half the year and not functioning very highly the other half but I had something of value from all that adversity that healthy people didn't know they didn't know how to keep going when it got difficult and the university then offered me a master's degree and paid for it I then because I had my what I call my life joy tools and strategies my toolkit I came top in that master's degree I won a prize for the first degree and I was not a naturally clever girl but the tools got me there what a testimony, though, to your, I want to say tenacity, and I hope that I'm using the right word in the right way, <laughs> um, that, that you saw this challenge and you broke it down bit by bit by bit and you made it happen. You made it work. And it took as long as it took, but you got there. I hope so. I also think you have to realise that I kept seeing people who were in a worse state than I was. Mm. And I knew that Emily would do anything to be anything to have one sixth time degree when she was tube fed and on you know morphine so I had friends who were more sick than me I had people in my community and church who had lost a child I had people who had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease and it was only downhill in two years so yeah. I knew I was fortunate but I had a big load and then when the university so I was doing all these talks and there was another blessing it was a wonderful man it was in one of my talks called Willie Herdman and he put his hand up at the end and he said sweetheart and he said some entertaining things. And then he said, you need to do that for a living. And it was like, I took my first school assembly when I was seven. You know, I was a capable little girl. And it was suddenly like I was back to being seven. There was electricity up my feet. And it didn't matter that I had to go back to bed for the afternoon to recover from standing yeah. up for an hour. So it, these tiny nuances um, were people have no idea of their own power in other people's lives yeah and people used to say to me is your dad outside Beck because my dad would drive me to a lecture stay outside to see if I could last the lecture and they were, it was just, it was a dealing joke 
but thank God I had a dad who would drive me to a lecture and sit outside and just say, I'll be here if you need me. Yeah, because um, I imagine that support must have made the difference in, in what you could achieve, because it is... It, it is harder when you don't have that support system um, to kind of hold you up and, and, and help you move through the stuff. Because, I mean, I know from my from sort of my health stuff, when I didn't share it and nobody kind of knew what was going on and just thought, you know, I was completely well, it was harder because I was forever trying to just be air quote normal and do all of the things that needed to be done and nobody knew that I needed support because I didn't tell them tell anybody and there's a huge hugely dichotomous position for people who look reasonably well because the thing I I looked like death through my 20s and thank god I have rosy cheeks now you know and I have nice wrists you know you can see <laughs> you can see flesh yeah. I love my wrists um but is that I desperately wanted to the well world but the well world was in no way capable of accommodating me so I had to adapt so many ways and my friends would know bless them that if they had a cold goodness sake please don't come near me because that would be three weeks in bed yeah so there was those things and we would meet for an hour for coffee in the afternoon because I couldn't go to the pub at night I was too ill by the end of the day yeah. so I had I think about people on their own and the horrors that befall them with severe chronic illness and having to deal with the DWP and GPs and trying to go to work or not go to work and get a dinner or not be able to look after your kids properly. People have enormous courageous hours that by just surviving. Mm. And I, I have had the best of people. I have a, I'm very fortunate. I have a wonderfully honorable husband, but every time I just had a big, essentially a big improvement, we were hit and my mum got early onset dementia in her mid fifties. Oh goodness. So not only were we dealing with two people with ME in our house, my mum had the worst of the worst and that was beyond brutal. Yeah. So she had very severe mental illness at the start of it, many, many complications and degenerated over 14 years, which I can honestly say was the most monstrous, brutal, horrendous, set of years and looking after her through that so not only have I understood acute very severe illness I understand enduring chronic illness I became then a patron of a mental health charity so I understand a good deal of that and I know what degenerative conditions are like mm -hmm. so that is a big toolkit of I hope empathy and experience so that when my clients come to me now and in the last decade I worked self-employed as a celebrant so the thing I did most of was funerals yeah was I could look at families and say I understand uh, I almost said I understand my darlings I'll help you through it because yeah. all of that overwhelming adversity and trying to be in the well world and trying to be me and be positive which was so difficult when the world is lapping you all the time is that now we have to negate that sorrow that grief and that suffering with goodness with trying yeah. to help people to say come on my darling we'll help you through and if we look for 3% improvements, we usually can find something. And that's really what, because um, my life has been completely dominated by illness, but I do not want it to be defined by it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? That's it's taking your power, taking your power in that situation and claiming um, what you can do and focusing with that 
and and using that in a way that enriches your life and and you've chosen to help others through that journey and there's so much power in that I think um like why part of why I do the work I do is like my own journey and, and where I've been and kind of wanting the people that are in the situation that past me was in to kind of have that support and have that that person that you know they might not know that I've experienced the things that they're talking about or the things that they're trying to work through but just that empathy and that love and that kindness that you you want to share out into the world isn't it and, and bringing that along with you um it's so important so thank you that you are here sharing your story and that you know you've found that power of yours and that you're sharing it out there with the work that you do um, and I know you've, you've got a few books haven't you where you share the things that we're talking about today do you want to talk a little bit about the books thank you for asking I love it when people talk about the work because the illness bit is quite interesting you know I mean it is but it's also oh my goodness it's endurance and I, I don't want to sit in it either because you know it, it's a difficult it's, thing because you want yeah. to find that balance, don't you? Yeah, and so like, like for me, it's it's a part of my journey. It's not my identity. And, yes, I, and yes. I feel very much that's that's your message as well. It's a part of the journey. It's helped me get to where I am. It's not always been great, um, but this is what I've learned from it. And this is what I can pass on to other people so that they kind of, you know, get the, the step up, don't they, from your learnings. Well, I think I always think it's a blessing to get older. And I now say, I hope I've got some old lady Nana Beck things that might be useful so I can be maternal. And I, I would want a teenager with me now. Dear God, I wish somebody had been able to say this to me it was look, darling, this is very difficult. And it might be a lot longer than you realise, but it might not be. And you don't know what's coming by the time you're 25 or 30. Mm. And if you just do a tiny bit now of something, and that's whatever you can manage and I am the one sixth queen I tell my clients now just be a one sixth treasure somewhere that or start to even think about what this is here to teach you and how you can share that and help others so I had we had no social media when I was ill you know we had letters in the post that that was how yeah it was a long time ago but also what I do now is by the end of my doctorate which was essentially all I could do you know academic life because my academic life got easier because I could stay at home more the further I went you know I didn't have to go to lectures anymore and catch yeah. books from everybody because they'd all party too much <laughs> I so wanted to go to nightclubs and party and live a wild life but you yeah. know I just couldn't so now so by the end of that my I was I was told by an immunologist look you're unemployable you can't and it was brutal and I came out and my dad said in his loveliest Cornish accent, he said, he said, let's just see what we can do. He said, he said that when you did a degree and it was pointless. And he said, what happened after that degree? So by the end of my doctorate, I thought, could I be self-employed? Could I somehow do something? So I did life joy talks and lectures. I had one-to-one -one coaching clients. But the thing I was most useful at was helping people at the lowest time. So I was working as a celebrant. Mm. And I've done nearly a thousand funerals services in the last 10 years and I hope I helped people because a lot of people live till they're 97 and have wonderful lives and they're mm. to be celebrated and a lot of people have great tragedy and I was aware of that so I hope there was some loving purpose there I wrote my first book through those that decade and then when the pandemic hit I have to say a bit more drama 
my husband was doing the COVID testing in his lab. So I thought, I just couldn't get any more. <laughs> yeah. Don't really want that. <laughs> this is hard. So, um, and I also had to shield. So I had to essentially start all over again at 46. Yeah. It took me about 36 to earn any money. There's the first thing. Yeah. The first 30 pounds I earned, I didn't cash for months. I kept the check. Um, so I, I started again a year ago. So I've written three books in the last year. Uh, the book I wrote last year was Life Joy, uh, Your Life Joy Year, An Enriching Thought for Every Day. So every month had a different value, love, courage, integrity. So you read, it's a thought yeah. for the day book. So that, that's been a blessing. And people have bought it for their wives, their children, their sisters, and their best friends. So that was a wonderful outcome. And my next book is due out in the next few weeks. And that is about my grandmother, because she's the start of everything, who um, went to China in the 1930s on her own. And she went, uh, she ran this mission hospital, learned Chinese. So the next book that's coming is called Inspiring Ivy, Courage and Care in China and Beyond. And I haven't told anybody that yet. You are oh, this is an exclusive. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you so you much. See, she once had a blue rinse and a perm, but she would say that your blue hair was epic. <laughs> Thank you. I do enjoy my blue hair. <laughs> so um, I'm proud of the books because my grandmother and my mother were great readers. Yeah. And that my, that scruffy puppy tomboy that I was, you couldn't sit still and was, was full of bounce. There's just a bit of that in those books and I'm, and I'm pleased about that and I'm grateful. But the thing I love most is when somebody sends me a message and says, I was having a terrible time and that helped me. Yeah, um, and I, I'm always, quite, I'm quite envious of the ability to write a book. Um, I discovered I was dyslexic in my thirties um, and I know I've got a book in me. I just can't quite get it out yet. Uh, and my husband has recently started writing. He's, he's just self-published as well. And it amazes me the, like that someone could just sort of sit and have some thoughts and create this like thing that other people can tap into and like get all the thoughts out of the brain. I just like, to me, it's like a magical, <laughs> it's a magical thing. Um, so your books are, how does, if somebody's interested in getting your book, where would they find them? Well, first of all, well, don't you husband, that's the most important thing. And it is magical, but it's a process. And what I do now is um, I tell people in their coping strategies, because a lot of people who are dyslexic, ADHD, dyspraxic, chronic illnesses, come to me for coping strategies, but really I help them write their book. That's amazing that you should say that. <laughs> I helped two people this week with structure and content and how to do it. But after a doctorate, believe me, a book is a joy. Um, so the books, my books are on my website, which is www.drrebecca.org.uk. And um, that, you know, I have a shop page and they're there. And um, the next one is up, Ivy is up for pre-order. I hardly dare say that, it's such a joy. Um, but you can do it. I, I had a lecture that I used to give, which was called, there's a book in us all, how to write yours. Yeah. And now I do quite a lot of that one-to-one -one now because there is one in you and it just needs, it's like teaching somebody to drive. Yeah. And you can, but sometimes a big, big book is like driving and towing a caravan. So I'll help you learn to reverse part of the caravan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same time. So, um, but they're also about finding the treasure in the tiny things of life, about coping yeah. with great difficulty. But 
how not to be embittered after difficulty, how to yeah. use the difficulty. And then also, to, I was trying to say to my coaching clients to help you shine ever brighter. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, I am noticing that we have probably run over time. I'm very much enjoying listening to you. And I and I would love to continue the conversation. But perhaps there's some things that I can have you come back and speak on another time. Um, so if you are OK, we'll bring it to a close. Is there anything that you would like to leave people listening with today? Well, I must say thank you to you for having me and all the work that you do. Never underestimate the power of that. That's the first thing. You're thank singing you. your song. And I would say the great lessons of this is that life can be utterly joyous, utterly unfair, utterly odd and wonderful and peculiar, but also that it's always a gift. And one of my favourite phrases that I ever came up with was count your blessings, but be the blessing. And no matter where you are, you can still be that blessing even if it's just how your temperament is or a kind word. So count your blessings, be the blessing. And to realise that we are, what can we do to make it better? What can we do to make it a bit less bad? And to remember always that your worth is beyond measure and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you so much. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that's listened. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. I love to hear your feedback and suggestions. So to reach out or find out more about me and my guest, visit srtt.co.uk or follow on social media at SRTT Podcast. I'll be back next Wednesday with a new guest. Until then, stay curious and be kind to yourself.